Clover gives you the power to run a smarter, faster restaurant. See everything in real time with the kitchen display system. Streamline takeout and delivery with online ordering. With the right tech, quick service is getting even quicker. Clover, accept payments, run your business, and sell more. For a limited time only, visit Clover.com to get a $450 statement credit on qualified hardware purchases. That's www.clover.com. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to... This week in fantasy baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. John, your twins have been on fire, but how are you doing? Uh, twins are doing well, so I'm doing well now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I've been doing well. Uh, it's been a busy week, but glad to finally have a chance to talk about some baseball. Um, and yeah, there's there's been a lot that's gone on, both good and bad, uh, in the baseball world. Yeah, there's been a lot of bad, and we'll get into the news that happened in the MLB just in a moment. But yeah, my teams have taken quite a few hits. I mean, a lot of big names, too, that I was very heavily invested in. Did you lose any big-name guys or have any problems with your team so far? Uh, well, uh, in my Dynasty League, I traded away Fernando Tatis in the offseason because okay. I had O'Neal Cruz waiting in the wings. Ah. Um, and, yeah, we all saw how that, that went. Um, but yeah, I'm a, little, uh, I'm a little annoyed about that. I mean, it is what it is. Um, that just happens injuries are injuries are just a thing and it sucks that it happens to my starting shortstop but i'm sure we'll uh we'll recover i lost my starting shortstop in four of five of my leagues <laughs> so yikes yeah and they were two different people so mm -hmm. pretty wild i guess i should probably diversify a little bit more when it comes to drafts of my guys that i like hey i like my guys man i'm gonna take the guys that i like but mm -hmm. yeah it's been brutal the injury bug has hit pretty hard across the major leagues so far it's been a little devastating but hopefully some positive news will 
happen along the lines. I'm doing well in my leagues and really bad in my leagues, so hopefully mm -hmm. it evens out. I hope we see some more stability. I think that's the one thing that's lacking right now across baseball is just stability. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it just seems like, and I, I mean, I know this is the case with, with the early season and really just with the baseball season in general, but, like, you, you know, you, you, you don't really check all your fantasy teams that carefully, and right. then you... You you know you look through them every couple of days and you're like oh that guy's hurt, um okay I guess I gotta put him on I I L I guess <laughs> yeah it's definitely a process and we always go through it every season I feel like every season I'm shocked that there's so many injuries you know like mm -hmm. I feel like oh man this is the worst season for him but like every year it gets worse and worse and worse and the names get bigger and bigger and bigger and I don't know man it's it's a headache but this is what we have to deal with in the fantasy baseball atmosphere I guess we just got to put up with it find the next guy and move on and hopefully be triumphant at the end of the road there. Yeah. the I guess the only positive thing that we can point to is the fact that Chris Bryant is not going to make our uh, news notes yeah. segment uh, for, what is this, the third time in a row in terms of regular yep. season? And uh, he's actually not doing too bad this season either. Um, I mean, it is, I mean, it, you know, he's batting 306, which is pretty solid for Chris Bryant. Um, still early in the season, obviously. But, He's actually having a, an okay year in Colorado right now. Yeah, big shout out to Chris Bryant. Thank you for not having your name added to this list because it's a pretty big <laughs> list. So I'm glad we don't have to talk about Chris Bryant because he was on the yeah. list like every week last year. So. Oh, yeah, it was a very unfortunate. So I'm glad he's healthy and for the sake of um, for Colorado fans as well. Um, you know, your big free agent signing is actually doing something. Yeah, maybe Dick Monfort might get his wish of just being a 500 team. Who knows? We'll oh, see. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. So before we get into the news... For today's show, we're going to recap all of the performances, of course, and then we have an interview later on with Tim Chang of Pitcher List about Jeffrey Springs. And of course, that leads us into our MLB news, which just so unfortunate. Jeffrey Springs of the Rays left Thursday's game with left arm ulnar neuritis. He basically didn't have any feeling in his arm. He threw a warm-up pitch, and the trainer and Kevin Cash came out to see him, and it looked like he lipped to Kevin Cash my forearm, but we're not too sure. But obviously, we hmm. found out that it's ulnar neuritis, and he basically just gets no feeling. Kind of like Raynaud's syndrome, but not so much. It's more of inflammation in his pitching arm. So we're hoping it doesn't lead to a lot of missed time. He'll likely be put on the 10-day IL. And I've seen on Twitter that some people in different sports with this injury have come back in under 25 days and others have missed more than 50 days. So this could be either a little bit of nothing or a big problem. So I'm hoping that we see good news for Jeffrey Springs because I am heavily invested in him and he's been so good recently. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough because he is a guy who a lot of people were saying, yeah, had some ace potential. Um, and obviously he was on a on a great run in this past two starts so yeah it does suck to see you never you never want to see someone go down with injury especially pitchers with forearm injuries like that's just that's a little scary um because a lot oftentimes you end up compensating um 
if you're still feeling hurt, you know, you end yeah. up compensating higher up in your arm action. And then um, kind of like what we saw with Tyler Glass now a yep, couple years exactly. ago when he was not gripping the ball well because of all the sticky stuff and he ended up um, yeah, having UCL tear. So, um, yeah, hopefully Springs is, is, is um, at least going to heal well and, and that there won't be any issue when he when he comes back eventually. Yeah, that's the hope. And exactly like you said, the forearm thing is never good because even if he does come back, let's say relatively quickly, he might put more stress on his arm and maybe a bicep problem occurs or something. You never know. It could lead to some mm -hmm. more problems. So I'm just hoping that it's fixable and that he could just take a little time off and come back A-OK -okay because like you and I both said, he has ace potential and he is someone that has been performing incredibly. And even in Thursday's game, he was doing great. He gave up one home run and had five strikeouts in three innings. He was looking awesome. And I'm just hoping that he comes back soon. So Jeffrey Springs, feel better. And hopefully you could get back on the mound very soon. Next, we have more bad news. Corey Seager of the Rangers was placed on the 10-day IL with a grade two left hamstring strain. It looked like he injured it while running the bases. His timeline at the moment is four weeks, which is a huge bummer for the Rangers and fantasy managers alike. This is one of the guys that I said I lost for my starting shortstop, have him in two leagues, <laughs> one TGFBI, and very upset about oh, this one because he is so good. Yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah, I Corey Seager was one of those guys who I... I ended up getting a decent amount of shares of actually I think I have him DGFBI as well. Oh um, yeah. So it, it's kind of tough because he was one of those guys where it's like, yeah, this guy might have a breakout because of the changes in the shift. Um and obviously he had a pretty decent season last season anyways. So um yeah, it it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and talking about it unfortunate and just speaking of my other shortstop, O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates was placed on the 60-day IL with a broken left ankle. He broke his ankle sliding into home. It was a really awkward slide. It was like mm -hmm. late and it wasn't like he was trying to take out the White Sox catcher, but he was like trying to find a lane, didn't know what to do, decided to slide late and kind of crunched it into his leg and it wasn't good and he underwent surgery for it. He'll be out for at least four months. That's what the Pirates tweeted out. They said he'll miss four months of time. And I think that's the worst scenario that we could have gotten. And of course, it's the worst scenario. And man, this one's really tough because I have him in a keeper league, a dynasty league, and a redraft league. And mm -hmm. yeah, I expected big things from Cruz. And he was already showing so much promise already oh, yeah. this year mm -hmm. he cut the strikeout rate he's walking more he was stealing bases hit for a little bit of power so far he was looking really good and this is just such a shame to see yeah i, I didn't get any exposure to cruise in redraft leagues um this year because i think he was just going a lot earlier than i wanted to pick him up at yeah fair uh but yeah my dynasty league i was really happy that he was doing well early in the this past couple of weeks but yeah it's just super unfortunate that it, it it's kind of like a fluke play almost um just sliding into a catcher um it, it was also kind of just like a broken running the basis play for the pirates yeah. in general on that so i it's it's just one of those really unfortunate situations i agree it's gonna stink not having Cruz for the rest of the season but hopefully he'll be okay and comes back maybe towards playoff time and gives us a little something that we are hoping for from him JT Brubaker of the Pirates was placed on the 60-day IL after undergoing Tommy John surgery on Wednesday. He will miss the entirety of the season. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees tossed a bullpen session, but it will still be some time until he comes back to the majors. So maybe we'll see him in May. That's what the hope is, but we don't know yet. DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees was out of the starting lineup for two games with quad tightness. However, he was available off of the bench on Thursday, so he should return to action soon. 
Josh Donaldson of the Yankees was unavailable with right hamstring tightness. He worked out on the field, but we're not sure when he'll come back. Harrison Bader of the Yankees had an outfield workout and could begin a rehab assignment next week. Ian Anderson of the Braves underwent Tommy John surgery and will miss the rest of the season. Orlando Arcia of the Braves got hit with a 98 mile per hour pitch on his wrist. He was placed on the 10 day IL with a micro fracture in that left wrist. With that happening as well, Vaughn Grissom will return to the team on Friday and take over as the primary shortstop. I'm not really sure how to feel about this. Obviously, Arcia was doing really well mm-hmm. in yep. the role since he got it. He plays good defense. That's what the Braves want him for. That's the reason why Grissom started the year in the minors because of that defense. So mm-hmm. obviously the defense takes a hit with Grissom, but the bat seems pretty ready. It looked good in the minors. I'm excited. I have Grissom in a few places and been holding him, but you don't want to see what happened to Arcia happen, of course. But hopefully Grissom is good. Do you have any take on Vaughn Grissom for the season? I don't really have any take here, but I am curious what they're going to do because they also signed um, Eher uh, Adrianza, right? Yeah. Um, yep. To a deal uh, in kind of between, right at the end of spring training. And so I, I don't know if Adrianza just kind of becomes a super utility guy um, and just fills in here and there, or if him and Grissom are going to be more of a kind of a one two punch at the shortstop position. Yeah, I certainly think for anyone who has Grissom, I think it might be a little bit of a headache to roster him, to be honest, because I think mm-hmm. he's going to bat low in the order, first of all. So maybe 8th oh, totally. or ninth, yep. which we mm-hmm. always expected, with, especially because that's where RC was batting too. Yep. So I think that he's going to get two to three at-bats per game, but towards the end of the game, if they're winning, they might replace him defensively. So right. I'm not really sure how much playing time he'll get or how many at-bats he'll get, but I think he's going to be a little bit of a headache. I hope he performs well. Like I said, I have him in TGFBI, have him in a few other mm-hmm. places. So I'm hoping for good things, but I'm not quite sure on Grissom yet. Right. Michael Harris, the second of the Braves, has a lower back strain. He should be joining the team when he's eligible to come off of the IL. Max Fried of the Braves had a strained left hamstring earlier this season, but he was able to throw off the mound recently and was fielding balls this past week. So hopefully he'll return to action soon. Travis Darno of the Braves, which is just wild. The Braves have like five injured players. Bad injury bugs for the Braves there. Darno had a concussion on Saturday, and he could possibly start baseball activities next week, so that's good news. Masataka Yoshida of the Red Sox missed a second straight game with right hamstring tightness. However, it doesn't look like he'll be going on the IL for now, so that's good news. Dansby Swanson of the Cubs left Tuesday's game with lower left side tightness that was later diagnosed as just cramping, so he didn't play on Wednesday, but he should return on Friday. Joey Gallo of the Twins has a right intercostal strain that placed him on the IL. He's planning to play in a minor league rehab game over the weekend, so hopefully he'll return to action as well. Kyle Farmer of the Twins got hit in the face with a Lucas Giolito fastball. It was pretty gruesome. It was a flush hit. It did not look good. I was watching that game because... Giolito was pitching, and I have some shares of Giolito, but man, Kyle Farmer really got rocked with that pitch. He fortunately didn't fracture his jaw, but he did have to have surgery. There's no current timetable on his return, but thankfully he didn't fracture his jaw because it was bad. Were you watching that game, John? Uh, I didn't have an opportunity to. I was kind of following it on Twitter. Okay. Um, and yeah, saw that, and it was... Uh, I didn't. I, I hate watching injury videos, so I, yeah. I didn't bother to play that once I saw it come across my feed on Twitter, but... Um, yeah, it, it it's good to see that at least there's no you know fracture there. Um, it's gonna be maybe a speedier return, but at the same time, like 
you know, you, you just never want to get hit in the head. Um, it's it's just never a fun thing in, in baseball. And so uh, hopefully he's doing well. Um, I know part of the funny thing, or not funny, part of the, the difficult thing with that whole game too was that Sonny Gray was pitching that day yep. and he had like an illness or something so much that he was like throwing up before the game. But then him and Farmer actually are really good friends. Um, so he, he came out of the game at the end of the fifth, um, not for any like injury reasons, but probably just like mental reasons and also just wasn't feeling great. So, um, yeah, uh, just, just tough, but it, at least, you know, it's not more serious, which is good. Yeah. We've actually gotten really lucky this season between two players getting hit in the actual face, not in the helmet, in the face with Justin Turner and Kyle Farmer. The fact that they didn't have like serious major injuries because mm -hmm. they got hit pretty flush and. I'm just happy they're okay. Like, that's remarkable. Yeah. Like, thank God, mm -hmm. dude. Yeah, no concussion is, is honestly the, the best thing from that. Yeah, and no broken jaw. I mean, that could have been yeah. horrible. And same with Justin Turner. I mean, wow. I was hit in the head by a pitch when I was playing Little League and stuff, and I was hitting the helmet. And it's crazy because it doesn't really hurt when you're hitting the helmet. But, like, the scary part is you turn your head just a little bit the wrong way, mm -hmm. it hits your face, and everything can go wrong. Right. Very scary things, but... Thankfully, Kyle Farmer is okay. Michael Conforto of the Giants left Wednesday's game with left calf tightness. That was really weird saying Michael Conforto of the Giants and not the Mets. <laughs> Bryce Johnson of the Giants was the injury replacement for Conforto, believe it or not. And he also got hurt after robbing Freddie Freeman of an extra base hit. It was actually a beautiful catch. He was running back in center field, had an awesome jump up and caught it at the wall. It was a beautiful play, but he really smacked his head into the wall. It was not cool, but what a catch. It was Honestly, a remarkable catch. But it was found out later that he had a concussion and he's expected to be placed on the IL. So Bryce Johnson, feel better soon. Herman Marquez of the Rockies was placed on the IL with right forearm inflammation. Thankfully, there's no structural damage according to an MRI, but he's still got to deal with that forearm inflammation and that's never a good sign. Bryce Harper of the Phillies took some swings against a pitching machine. There was no update on his timetable yet, but there's also mention at the same time of him playing first base since Reese Hoskins and Derek Hall are both out with injury. This doesn't mm -hmm. really speed up his timetable because the original timetable was for him to return as DH anyway. Yep. But it definitely opens up the door for some opportunity to actually play the field because he had those arm issues to throw in the outfield. And if he plays first base, I mean, not only does one of the best hitters and players in baseball get first base eligibility alongside outfield that's a pretty interesting move for the Phillies in general so Bryce mm -hmm. Harper first baseman interesting I just reminded of uh, Moneyball and just thinking about uh, how hard is it to learn first place and then Rod Washington going very difficult yeah <laughs> yep yep that was really good with uh, Hatterberg Andrew Painter of the Phillies played catch since he was shut down with a sprained UCL in spring training. He was initially thought to be the number five pitcher in the Phillies rotation. So we'll see what happens as the season moves on because Painter has a lot of potential. So if he cracks mm -hmm. that rotation at any point, he is a must grab. He looks great. Derek Hall of the Phillies was Reese Hoskins replacement, but he ended up with a torn ligament in his thumb after undergoing surgery. Hall is expected to return in two months. It's such a shame for a guy who finally got an opportunity and now he's out for two months like that sucks yeah i i i remember seeing this come across my feed i'm like oh my goodness the phillies are just the most unlucky team right now um and there was a lot of hype around Derek hall as well so yeah it's just unfortunate that yeah he has to he has to deal with this now yeah he was a bit of a fab guy because reese hoskins got injured in spring training and then drafts were already pretty much done by then so like first week mm -hmm. people were picking up Derek hall with a lot of money because yeah. he's the replacement getting everyday pas and 
you love to see it, but you hate to see that he's out for two months, especially because he was always like a journeyman and barely made it to the majors. And now mm-hmm. he has his opportunity. He was playing well and he's gone. So unfortunate yeah. for Derek Hall. Mm-hmm. Ranger Suarez of the Phillies is dealing with left forearm tenderness and had a bullpen session recently. So hopefully he'll return to the rotation soon. Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals is dealing with a sore neck and is listed as day-to-day for now, but he's not expected to go on the IL. Lars Nupar of the Cardinals has a left thumb contusion. He's progressing through it at the moment. He's taking some swings off of a machine and in batting practice, and soon he should be able to start a rehab assignment. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers was placed on a 15-day IL due to right shoulder inflammation. It's retroactive to April 8th, so he should be eligible to return in about a week and a half. And just a reminder that he dealt with Raynaud syndrome last year, and I don't think that will have any effect to this injury, but you never like mm-hmm. to see any problems with, you know, a right shoulder or anything. And Woodruff is someone that you invested a very high draft pick on, most likely, so it's unfortunate to see that for sure. Tim Anderson of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL with a left knee sprain. Aaron Savale of the Guardians was placed on the 15-day IL with a left oblique strain. Anthony Santander of the Orioles is dealing with back soreness and hasn't played in the last few days. Matt Manning of the Tigers fractured his right foot after taking a comebacker on Tuesday. He was placed on the 15-day IL. Austin Meadows of the Tigers was placed on the 10-day IL to focus on his mental health. We hope that he's feeling better and is able to come back stronger. And last but not least, Zach Eflin of the Rays was placed on the 15-day IL with lower back tightness. Whew, that was a lot to go through. That was a lot of names, a lot yeah. of injuries. That was brutal. I mean, wow. I can't believe how many people got injured and just the stuff that's going on right now in the majors. Like I said, every season just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And hopefully some of these guys come back strong. Any last notes on these guys, John? Uh, Not really. I mean, Woodruff, I think, is maybe the biggest name after that that you just mentioned. I mean, yeah. Tim Anderson as well, for sure. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, it, it at least sounds like he um, is feeling better and should be able to return pretty soon. Um, and so we'll see how that all shakes out with him. But yeah, the whole Reynos thing, I mean, obviously it's not necessarily the reason why he is, he's dealing with shoulder inflammation, but right. any sort of arm stuff um, is just uh, not fun. Yeah, not a good look. But before we get into the weekly performance recaps from this past week, we will take a short break, so stay tuned. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. 
Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. John, kick us off at the weekend. Yeah, uh, just as a reminder, obviously, we we get pretty much all our pitcher and hitter highlights from the daylight articles over at the pitcher's website. Uh, definitely check out the batter's box article and the SBI roundup up articles as they're just great resources to read and see how players perform each day. But getting right into it, starting on April 7th, Friday, um, Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox went through for five with two home runs, two runs, and five RBI. Uh, Robert, when he's healthy, is pretty much one of the most electric players in baseball. I was actually kind of looking at some fun clips how he when he plays center he loves to run all the way over to left and catch balls that Eloy Jimenez is supposed <laughs> yeah. to to yep. field and it's just like one of those things where Robert is he's so athletic he's so good and when he's healthy he's yeah he's amazing um and on Friday he he showed off a little bit of the strength uh with two homers both off Rich Hill he's currently hitting 340 he's slugging 698 uh the only knock is he hasn't drawn a single walk or stolen any bases yet um but we'll take the power and average for now as long as he's he stays healthy Another member of the two-homer club over the weekend was Rafael Devers. Um, on Saturday, he went two for four, uh, again, with those two homers, five RBI. Um, he had a couple uh, solo shots to lead the Red Sox to a 14-5 victory over the Tigers. Uh, Devers is currently top 10 in runs, home runs, and RBI, but the K rate's a little worrying, 28.3%, uh, which is pretty high. Um, again, it's only two weeks, though, so... You know, we don't want to necessarily extrapolate anything from that data, uh, but it is in the bottom quartile of the league. Um, however, he continues to barrel the ball um, at the high rate that he has right now. He's barreling it super well. Um, I think top 10% in the league. Um, I don't think it matters how much he strikes out because he's going to get you plenty of counting stats. And then Nelson Cruz, uh, the ageless wonder of the Padres, three for four with a double, a homer, two runs at six RBIs on Sunday. Uh, he might not be a staple on fantasy teams anymore, but he is making his at-bats count as part of the short side platoon for the Padres. In just seven games, he's slugging 640. Whew. But a lot of his production basically came from this one day. I think he has like nine RBI on the season, so basically two-thirds of them came from his game on Sunday. Um, so he I, he's still really only worth a look in NL only leagues or you know deeper leagues. He is on, like a util only as well, which I think limits his um, limits how much he can really help your team in in those types of leagues. Um, but at the end of the day, I think a guy with his ratios, you know, like obviously he's not batting a lot, so he's he's going to be a ratios dependent guy. Um, I think you can find someone who can do just as well as him and still have better counting stats. Yeah, so for Robert, I'm so torn because I was so in on him last season and yeah. it obviously went awry. So Robert, he's so talented and if he just stays on the field and healthy, like you said, he is one of the most electric players in baseball and he is probably one of the biggest fantasy assets too if he just stays healthy for a whole season. Having totally. a high yeah. average, lots of homers, stolen base potential. Him and Corbin Carroll are actually two people who both haven't drawn a single walk yet, which is kind of wild to think about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Robert's performing really well. I mean, 340 average and 700 slugging pretty much is definitely solid. Yeah, it was funny because I wanted to say slash line, but his 
average is equal to. So yeah, yeah, so. 340, 340 uh, right across <laughs> yeah. the gate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Rafael Devers, too. He's someone that I absolutely love. He won me a season, like legitimately hit a home run that won me a head-to-head league in the final week. So I will always love Rafael Devers. Always a special place in my heart. One of my favorite players. And yeah, obviously it's two weeks. The K percentage a little bit worrying, but it should go down and up. It'll fluctuate. He strikes out a lot, but he's still one of the best hitters in baseball. So you should not be worried about Devers. And then Nelson Cruz, I think he's very helpful in a daily lineup league as opposed to a weekly. Because you obviously can't plug him in in a weekly and be confident that he's going to start even half the games. Mm-hmm. But in a daily league, let's say, you know, obviously it's util only, but let's say you're in a deep 12-team, 15-team league with two util spots. Nelson Cruz is good if it's a daily format. You could just place him in when you know he's playing, and he's probably mm-hmm. a good bet to give you some sort of production. Yeah, that's definitely true. And he's on a team that is – he's surrounded by plenty of guys who – Yeah, lots of RBI chances. Get on base. Yep. Yep, exactly. Well, moving on to pitchers, uh, we're going to start with Sonny Gray. Uh, the Twins, seven innings, one in run, four hits, one walk, and 13 strikeouts against Houston on Friday. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the Twins on this podcast. I, I think I've snuck in a couple more uh, below, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. They're playing really well. No, uh, they are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but the the problem is a lot of pitching on Friday was like pretty mess. So Sonny really outshined the competition there. He had 16 whips and a 37% CSW. The slider was really elite. Uh, it was looking real good. Um, the 13 strikeouts are actually a career high for for Gray, which is pretty nice. Um, and in in as we mentioned, he was dealing with some illness uh, in his most recent start earlier this week, and he still looked pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, Sonny is like a top 30 pitcher um in, in most leagues just because of what he's providing in terms of innings and strikeouts uh along with uh really really solid era and whip uh nick lodolo on on saturday uh, obviously with the reds facing philly he went seven innings zero and runs three hits two walks and 12 strikeouts uh saturday was the complete opposite of friday a lot of great pitching performances we're going to highlight lodolo here though because he looked every part of the potential ace pitcher that he was hyped as when he was a prospect the four-seamer, the curveball, played super well off each other. He got 13 whips alone on those two pitchers. Cruised to seven shutout innings. The K rate is actually kind of the most impressive part here because it's actually jumped up 10% this season. Again, small sample size, we get it. Um, but he is also limiting hard contact, inducing ground balls um, at a very high rate. And when you play at Great American Small Park, um, you need to be able to do that. Strike people out. Don't let them hit the ball hard and hit it into the ground instead of out of the park. So we'll see how that goes for Lodolo for the remainder of the season. And then finally, Chris Bubich of the Kansas City Royals. Six innings, zero and runs, two hits, zero walks, and nine strike cuts against the Giants. Um, Bubich might be the hottest name in fantasy baseball right now in terms of waiver wire pickups, and for good reason. He earned a golden goal. He had 19 whips, 43% CSW. He pitched six shutout innings and only 76 pitches, so he's still kind of getting stretched out too. Uh, he has somehow brought down his walk rate from 10.7% to 2.3%. Uh, increased the strikeout rate from 18.7% to 30.2%. So just number-wise, basically, his walk rate is down by five times, and his strikeout rate is almost double. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea how he's doing this. Like, there's only a couple things I could maybe point to. Like, he's decreased his fastball usage, and in turn, he increased. Uh, he ha- he has a new slider. And it was actually interesting. I think I read this on Twitter from um, Kevin O'Brien, who's been on the show before. He uh, he does a lot of Royals um, content uh, on his personal page, um, and he talked about. I think he had a, some quote uh, or tweeted some quote for Bubich that that 
the old regime, uh, the old Royals coaching staff, yes. didn't really want to work with him to get a slider. Uh, but the new staff was like, yeah, let's get a slider going. And that pitch has a basically a 30% swing strike rate. It's in the top 10% of sliders in the league by PLV right now. He's only thrown it 17 times, though. So in terms of sample size, it's absolutely tiny. So I'd hesitate to say that it's a real thing. That being said, though, PLV also likes his fastball curveball, too. It's not just his slider that, that's working for him. So I think he's worth a speculative add if you have the room. Uh, maybe don't start him against Atlanta on Saturday. See how he does there. But if he actually like shines there, uh, I think he's a guy that needs to be picked up in most leagues. Yeah, so this is a great list. First of all, don't be upset about talking about Twins and trying to shy <laughs> away because the Twins are great. And the pitching staff, I mean, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, they are all dealing. Like, yeah. absolutely dealing. So, of course, we're going to highlight the players that are playing good. It doesn't matter if they're your favorite team. Gloat <laughs> about it. Talk about it. We love it. So, yeah, Sonny Gray, I mean, 13 strikeouts is a whole lot. And the mm -hmm. 37% CSW is a thing of beauty. And it stinks that he's kind of been under the weather for two starts now, which is yeah. kind of weird. Hopefully, he's okay with all that. But he's looking to be a steal this season in your fantasy drafts because totally. he went undrafted in most shallower leagues. He is someone that you maybe took very, very late in a 12-team league or something. So Sonny Gray is looking off to pay dividends this season because he looks great. And that was against Houston, too, so that's not mm -hmm. anything to scoff at. And then Nick Lodolo, he has been phenomenal. Another guy who's poised to break out of those Reds rookies, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft. All those guys are poised to break out. Nick Lodolo looks insane. As you mentioned, the K rate is just astronomical this season, and he looks phenomenal. And then Chris Bubich, I'm going to save my... I guess, opinion or my thought I have because I'm mm -hmm. going to mention Brad Keller later and I'll mention what mm -hmm. I see about the Royals and maybe you'll agree with it if maybe a new regime's taking over. As you mentioned, they, the new regime is helping him with his slider, but there's a lot more to it than you think. So yeah. I'll save that though. But moving on to Monday, April 10th, from the Batters Box article by Gabe Gorlnick, we've got Max Muncie of the Dodgers who went three for three with two home runs, two runs, seven RBI, and a walk. He is the Giant Slayer. Muncy came to life in the series against the Giants this week. Not only did he hit a three-run homer and a grand slam in the game on Monday, but on Wednesday he had another two-home run game against the Giants. Those two games quadrupled his home run total for the season. His hard hit rate is up a bit at 50%, and he's walking at his usual rate. It's just that the strikeouts are a bit high at the moment. But Muncy looks to be returning to form. He obviously started last season very down. He was dealing with some injuries and just didn't look like himself. But man, he, at the end of last season, started to pick it up, and it looks like he's continuing it. If only he could face the Giants for the rest of the season, he would be Barry Bonds. But Max Muncy looks phenomenal so far. Obviously, if he cuts that strikeout rate a little bit, he is going to be the Max Muncy that we all wanted to see for fantasy. And then Nico Horner of the Cubs, he went 3-for-5 with an RBI and a stolen base. And I mainly wanted to highlight Nico because if you lost O'Neill Cruz like we mentioned, Corey Seager like we mentioned, Dansby Swanson, although he'll be okay, or Orlando Arcia this week, Nico might be a good replacement. No one on the wire is going to really replace Cruz's or Seager's power, but Horner has tons of stolen base upside with 5 already so far this season. Horner had 10 home runs and 20 stolen bases last season in 135 games, and he's now the everyday leadoff hitter for the Cubs with second base and shortstop eligibility, so fills in in that middle infield role if you have one of those slots, and second base and shortstop. He's widely rostered across each platform, but 
If you can acquire him from a team for cheap or pick him up if he's out there, I'd recommend doing so. On Monday, he had three hard-hit balls all against Luis Castillo, who's been great this season, which is very impressive to say the least. So I think Nico Horner is a very suitable replacement if you lost one of those big shortstops. Yeah, uh, Muncie is very interesting in the fact that, like you mentioned, the strikeout rate is up. Yeah. Um, this season is 35% compared to last year, where it was at 25%. But somehow he is he has a better average than last year. He has a better OBP than last year. Um, and his slugging is you know through the roof. It's, it's basically back to the levels of 2021. Yep. I think the interesting stat with him is that his, uh, his ISO is, is um, 0.357. So he is is really doing a lot of damage at the plate. Yes, it was you know four homers in this one giant series. That's obviously skewing a lot of data, right? Um, but he's he's still playing like pr- pretty decently um, over over the course of the season. Obviously, Muncy's still kind of a hot and cold kind of guy. So we'll you know we'll we'll see what happens there. And I wish he would play the Giants every single time, but it's not going to happen. Um, and then yeah, Horner's a really interesting sort of. Um, a player from a position eligibility standpoint because yeah like you mentioned he has second and second base and shortstop eligibility um definitely worth rostering um i the power is the part that maybe worries me the most yep um but yeah clearly the stolen bases are working for him he's yeah he has five so far he had 20 last season um there's no reason that i don't think Horner could get, maybe even get up to 30 steals this year um if the cubs are willing to send him and um yeah, I think he's he's a, a, a solid uh, replacement. Uh, that's probably the best way to characterize him. The power is definitely the one thing in question with Horner. He obviously doesn't have a home run yet this season. He had 10 mm-hmm. last season. I think he's just flat out a 10 home run hitter. Like, I'm not going to beat around the bush here for all of you. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, Nico's got a potential of 20 homers. He does not. He does not. Right. He will maybe hit 15 home runs in the best scenario possible if the wind is always blowing out <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> maybe he has a chance at that. But he's a 10 homer guy, and I think this season he's going to have between 30 and 35 steals. So mm-hmm. you company 10 homers, 30 steals, and 100 runs scored, that's pretty solid for someone you can either acquire for very cheap or get for free. So I like that a lot. And once again, Max Muncy... As John said, he's much better in OBP leagues or points leagues because he doesn't really strike out much. Obviously, he's striking out right now, but he's better in those kind of formats rather than an average league. His average is always going to be a little bit lower, and his OBP is always going to be higher. So just take that with a grain of salt. Moving on to the SP Roundup article, Respect Your Elder, from Nick Pollock. We've got Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks. He pitched seven innings, had no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the Brewers. That is finally the gallon we know. His first two starts were really shaky and it concerned us, but he bounced back in a big way against the Brewers on Monday. He had a ridiculous 41% CSW that earned him a King Cole, and he was just piecing Milwaukee up with the changeup and curveball. It's definitely nice to see from someone that we expect big things from, but we were worried his velocity was a little strange there and... He just wasn't looking too sharp in his first two outings, and this is definitely a step in the right direction. And then we have Bryce Elder of the Braves, who went 6.1 innings pitched, no earned runs, six hits, one walk, seven strikeouts against the Reds. The first big success in our streamer recommendations. Way to go, John. That was a good call here. Elder doesn't have the nastiest of stuff, but his slider and sinker were solid and got the job done in this one. The thing with Elder is he's a strike thrower that can generate some whiffs, 
But now that Arcia and Harris are out with injury, the defense might be a little suspect behind him with Grissom there. And I don't know, it's going to be a little suspect there. Still, if he's available on your wire, I'd recommend picking him up and using him against the Royals on Sunday. He's definitely a guy that's more of a streamer archetype, but hey, if he just walks his way into a rotation spot with the Braves, which he's performing well enough to lock that down, if he could just control that spot, I mean, he's going to get wins because he's on a good team. If he can just generate soft contact and have good defense behind him and get some whiffs, he's going to be a solid pitcher this year. I mean, he had 34% CSW against the Reds, and the Reds aren't the greatest of offenses, of course, but Elder looked really good in this one, and I'm kind of upset because I streamed Kyle Gibson instead, who did great, got me a quality start, but I should have went with Bryce Elder because Bryce Elder looks really, really good, especially in that start. And also a little double pat on the back to John here as well because Matt Strom of the Phillies, who I believe I put last on my list out of the four we recommended, <laughs> he was great against the Marlins. He went five innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, and one walk with six strikeouts in only 59 pitches, which is pretty wild, but great streamer recommendation there. And one last shout out to Andrew Heaney of the Rangers who pitched against the Royals and the first 10 outs that he recorded were all strikeouts, and nine of those were in a row. So pretty nasty stuff out of Andrew Heaney. Yeah. Zach Allen is going to be fun because he gets Miami next. Oh, um, baby. So it's just another kind of easy start, essentially. Uh, and then he does get the Padres after that. So I feel like that's going to be the real test in terms of, like, is Gallon like, back to, you know, being a status? Um, and then... Yeah, Elder, for sure, I, I would start him against the Royals in his next start. Uh, he does get Houston next, though, so I'd probably drop him there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the funny thing with Matt Strom was that, yeah, you had mentioned he did five innings and 59 pitches. And I think that was always going to be the worry with Strom, right, is he stretched out enough to even, like, get the win. Thankfully, he did because yep. the Phillies rocked Sandy Alcatara. And, yeah, I, I would probably not bother with Matt Strom in the, in the future. He's <laughs> yeah. at Cincinnati on Saturday, it looks Yikes. like. Um, and then he does have Colorado at home next Thursday. So may, if, you're, if you're willing to gamble for a win there, uh, Strom could be available again. Yeah, Sandy got lit up, which is just a little side thing for Monday's game. Sandy got absolutely decimated, giving up nine earned runs to the Phillies. And just for yeah. everybody out there... Don't panic, okay? Like, obviously, it's worrying, and it's not great, but this is a one-off thing. Sandy's not going to give up nine earned runs again. Yeah. <laughs> you hope, at least. <laughs> you hope, yeah. I mean, this is always the thing with Sandy. Like, he always has, like, one – or, I mean, I guess in this case, he had a bad opening day as well. Yeah. But he always has, like, a couple really terrible starts where you're just like, what the heck is happening? And then he just, you know, turns it on for the rest of the season. Yeah, it hurts the most because it's coming off of a complete game shutout, the only one of the season. <laughs> so yep. mm -hmm. it's pretty bad that you go from nine innings, no earned runs, to four innings, nine earned runs. <laughs> right. But just yeah. chalk it up to a weird day and some bad – Babbitt been singled out and hopefully he'll be better next time out right exactly well moving on to tuesday uh, april 11th uh thanks to seth klusmeyer for his uh batter specs article uh, i'm gonna start with Luis Arias of the marlins who we just talked about uh he went four for five with a double a, a triple a home run uh, and yes a single uh he got two runs and two rbis uh it's pretty much everyone's favorite hitter uh Luis Arias. he somehow hit for the cycle uh it's not something that i would ever expect to see again from Arias. He's dominating the play for the Marlins right now. He's slashing an incredible 500, 558, 696. <laughs> that's a 1244 OPS. Um, that's it's kind of insane, right? That, that that's like MVP numbers essentially yeah. uh, in in you know two weeks of baseball. And uh, you know this is one of those things where I think a lot of people are talking about how both the Twins and the Marlins like both won their trades. Yep. 
uh, their side of the trade. I'm I'm totally I'm totally cool with that. I mean, I love Luis Arise. He was obviously a great hitter for for the Twins, and I'm glad he's um, shown a little bit of power too when he, in, in Miami. That all being said, though, do I think this is sustainable? Uh, maybe that no, of course not. A 500 average would be incredible. I don't I don't think it's ever going to happen. And um, I think to that point, then I think a rise is almost like a sell high in fantasy right now, um, just because the ratios are going to go down. Um, and I think the the biggest issue here are the counting stats, right? When you hit for the cycle and you only get two runs and two RBI, something is wrong. Uh, and that something is the Marlins offense because the rest <laughs> of the team around him is not great. Um, moving on to another second baseman, Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals went through for five with two runs, a homer, and an RBI. Uh, he finally did something. Oh my goodness, the season has been really bad if you've been, uh, if you've rostered Tommy Edmond. Uh, and honestly, I think it's because he wasn't in the nine hole. This man, when he's when he's at the bottom of the order, when he's batting eighth or ninth, he's done that in seven games this year. He's only had three hits. Wow! Right, and it, it's just it just isn't pretty. And then you look at his his um, splits when he's in the in the uh, batting leadoff uh, or batting second, and it's granted it's only like I think it's only like four games, so you know small sample size, whatever. He's like hitting. He, he I think he also batted today i think in the in the two spot um and let me see what for the cardinals he ended up you look at this box score he batted in the ninth spot today for the cardinals uh oh for four with one strikeout wow. like this man for some reason like when he's batting at the end of the lineup he's just terrible but when he bats at the top of the lineup he's a completely different player uh so um ollie marmel if you're listening please Please bat Tommy Head in first or second. Yeah, so I'm um, hoping for my personal Brennan Donovan shares. Oh, I sure. I hope he stays in the one hole, but I would love to see Edmund in the two hole. I mean, obviously right now they would have Alec Burleson mm, yeah. as their two hitter. I don't know why. Put Edmund in the two hole. It's obvious. Like, Why can two fantasy analysts that just play fantasy baseball on a podcast <laughs> see that he stinks in the eight and nine holes and he's good yeah. in the one, two holes? Just switch it. Like Edmund clearly performs better at the top half of the lineup, and I think that's more of a confidence thing. You know, like Oh, totally. For me, I was always a leadoff guy, a leadoff or two-hole mm-hmm. hitter. And if I was batting ninth, I'd almost not feel insulted, but I feel like I can't contribute to my full potential. And sure, totally. that's just a someone playing Little League and on a Williamsport team. I mean, that's someone with yeah. no MLB experience. So I can only imagine, especially because Tommy Edmund is coming off of a great year last season. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that you'd want to hit second and set the table for guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt instead of right. hitting nine and you know not getting as many at-bats. Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even think it's a platoon thing, you know? It, no, it's, it's not. not like... It, he, just for some reason, they're putting him at the bottom of the lineup. I don't know if it's so they can get some speed on the bases when Donovan comes around. Yeah, but fair. I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't understand that that much. And then for Luis Arias, also awesome trade for the Twins and the Marlins, like you said. It really was a win-win for both teams. And at the surface, it looked like the Twins kind of overpaid for Pablo Lopez, especially because he's very injury-prone. So... Mm-hmm. Now it's just looking great. I mean, Pablo Lopez looks like the best pitcher in baseball. And Luis Arias looks like a modern-day Ted Williams. And it's Mm -hmm. pretty remarkable. And one fun fact here is that Arias hit for the cycle for the Marlins. It was the first ever cycle in Marlins history. And the Marlins were the last team to hit a cycle. That was it. That's cool. Every team in the majors has hit for a cycle now. The Marlins were the last one. So that's really cool. 
Well, clearly, I mean, you, you basically, if you um, trade for the best hitter in baseball in terms of average, you know, you have a good shot. I guess good things will happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, moving on to the SP roundup, not okay, son, uh, from Nick Pollock. Uh, we get to talk about another pitcher that that has finally returned to prominence: Corbin Burns of Milwaukee, eight innings, zero and runs, three hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against Arizona. Um, yeah, Burns is back, I think. Uh, after two really scary starts, he put it together with the cutter, which earned eight whips. The changeup got five. Just for context, that's actually more whips than the pitches earned in his two previous games. Wow. So he, he found something against Arizona. Uh, let's just hope that he could, this continues in his next start when he faces a tougher team in the Mariners. Um, you know, it looks like he's back, but we'll, we'll see until this next start. And then Lance Lynn of the White Sox went six innings, three and runs, seven hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts against Minnesota. It was a poor quality start for Lynn, but he did manage to put it together for 10 strikeouts, which is pretty nice. The cutter was still on, had a 47% CSW. And probably the more positive fact is that his four-seamer was a few ticks higher than his previous start uh, at 92, 93 miles an hour. It's basically two miles an hour faster than his um, than what he was throwing last uh, last start. He was also locating a bit better. It was high in the zone instead of a bigger spread. Like if you look at the the heat map for uh, the kind of the pitch breakdown between his last start and this start, it's it's actually kind of incredible how much he tightened um, the zone that the fastball was being thrown in. Um, he still figured out the pitch mix. Uh, I don't think he knows exactly what is working for him the best. Um, but it does look like it's coming together in, in some way, right? You get Ted Strike, it's, it's, things have not, got to be going well for you. So for Burns, very simple. Burns is back, baby. It's nice to see. Obviously, one of the best pitchers in fantasy baseball, and he had pretty poor start and was getting hit really hard, but it looks that he's got things under control, and the Diamondbacks are a really good team. They're in first place, so Corbin Burns, nice to see him dealing. He was curving up Corbin Carroll in that game so that was unfortunate <laughs> for all my Corbin Carroll shares but as for Lance Lynn yeah you said it best there is his velocity was up and the key was the last start and obviously the last start was a stinker it was a Sandy Alcantara mm-hmm. stinker almost he yeah. gave up loads of runs wasn't good but he apparently was sick and oh, he was pitching okay. through an illness yeah that's what it came out afterwards that he was battling some cold like symptoms I was personally sick that week as well so I think it was just going around <laughs> yeah. And I think that the reason for the velocity being down is he was just trying to pitch through feeling crummy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would explain a lot. And a lot of people, I mean, people are so reactionary that they see the star and like, oh, Lance Lynn's washed. This is bad. No, mm-hmm. dude, he literally pitched amazing to end the year last season. He was yeah. sick last start, and now his velocity's back. He's locating the pitches better. Ten strikeouts, mm-hmm. sure, three earned runs. It was a home run in the first inning that gave up most of the damage. Mm-hmm. But Lance Lynn looked great. It looked absolutely great. He's fine. He's going to be okay. Everyone, don't press the panic button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to Wednesday, April 12th, from the Batter's Box article from Jim Chatterton, we have Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals, who went 3-for-5 with a triple, a run, an RBI, and three stolen bases. Talk about panic buttons. It was a rough start to the season for Witt. I saw people on Reddit and Twitter giving up on him already one week into the season, which is just baffling I mean come on I get that you're excited and want your players to do well right out of the gate but I feel like nobody has any patience anymore it's a long season baseball is a long season it's a lot of time in fantasy it's not like fantasy football where one guy doesn't perform for one week and your season's over 
Bobby mm-hmm. Wood just had a rough start to the year. It's one week. Calm down. Let him get his legs out from underneath him. He had a short spring training due to the WBC, where he didn't get much play to begin with, and is looking like he's finally starting to get going. His strikeout rate is going down. His average is going up. It's exactly what you want to see out of Bobby, so give him some patience. He will pay off dividends. Don't worry. And then Wander Franco of the Rays, he went 3-for-5 with three doubles, two runs, two RBI, and a stolen base. As I've mentioned before, I'm someone that has zero shares of Wander Franco, and I was never going to have any shares because I'd like to see something out of him before paying a premium price for it. And I think that Wander throughout the year so far, in his very short career, he was going for such a high price and we haven't seen any real big fantasy payoff. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm starting to see that something now. Look, I always saw Franco as a 300-plus batting average guy who'll get you 15 homers, 15 stolen bases. And for fantasy purposes, that's not otherworldly, at least not at the price he goes for in drafts. You can get similar stats from a guy like Nico Horner, who I mentioned, who goes 10 to 15 rounds later on most occasions. However, Franco is only 22. He's hitting the ball super hard. He's getting doubles and homers. He's stealing bases. He's doing it all and honestly looks to be breaking out this year. I can't wait to see his final line at the end of the year and admitting that I was wrong about what I thought his ceiling was because, sure, he might have the ceiling that I thought he did, 300 batting average, 15 homers, 15 steals, but at the rate he's going right now, it looks like he's going to blow through that, and we shall see at the end of the year. Yeah, Franco, actually, it, it kind of looks like he's selling out a little bit for power. I agree. Because his, his strikeout rate's up a little bit, but he's still managed to hit for average, which is, like, really sick. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, he was definitely a guy who was like maybe the ninth or tenth pro stop taken off the board. So it's good to see that like it's it's paying off for 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 those for those managers who roster him. Obviously, he's not going to be you know at this this same pace for the rest of the season, right? right. I mean, he's he's not going to be I'm trying to do the math here. He's not going to be hitting like he's not going to have a fifty fifty season. Essentially. No, yeah, exactly. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, thirty thirty feels almost doable now, right? Like yeah, thirty thirty with a 300 plus averages um that wins you a league yeah and if that's the case then i'm completely wrong you know i'll Mm -hmm. gladly admit that i was wrong but then i'm glad to pay that third round second round first round value for franco if that's his ceiling but i need to see that ceiling first you know yeah i agree well moving on to pitchers from wednesday from the sp roundup article it's gonna be dre from nick pollock we've got brad keller of the royals who went 6.2 innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Rangers. Now, I didn't just pick him to highlight him because we share the same last name, and no, we're not related, but I picked him because I see a pitcher that's legitimately changed. Now, this is what I was talking about before when John mentioned Chris Bubich. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer of Royals pitchers like Bubich and Keller because the Royals hired a new manager, Matt Quattraro, who used to be the bench coach for the Rays, the 13-0 Rays right now that have always made the playoffs and just are so analytically sound. Now, the Royals were always a team that were analytically behind. They always seemed like they were out of it and not into it, and they just seemed very old school and didn't kind of play into that. But Quattraro at the helm now, I think we're seeing more of a Rays approach take over a bit, and we're going to see the Royals perform better than ever. Because we've already seen Bubich add a slider that he wanted to add for a while but was ignored on. But now these new coaches are working with him. Same with Brad Keller. I mean, Keller's using his four-seamer and curveball more than his sinker and slider nowadays, which he was always dependent on. Back in the day, it was sinker-slider. He threw 26 curveballs in this game and got a 46% CSW. 
His curveball has a bit of a different shape on it than it used to as well, which is why he's throwing it more than the slider. It's almost between a slider and a curveball. I don't know if it's the sweeper or not, but in terms of movement, it looks like it's between a slider and curveball, but the pitch looks really good, and it's obviously working with a 46% CSW, so... He didn't generate a lot of whiffs in his start, but still, I think Brad Keller is someone that you pick up and take an early gamble on. Same with Chris Bubich. I think this new philosophy of the Royals is going to pay off dividends. I think we're going to see a lot of actual changes for the pitching staff and even the batters. I think we're going to start seeing them warm up a little bit. Obviously, they start off kind of rough, but I think we're going to see a good season out of the Royals. Not playoff making, but I think this is a step in the right direction for the organization as a whole. So I'm buying into Bubich and Brad Keller because I think that the changes they're making are really changing their name. Because when I think of Brad Keller, I just think of the most mediocre pitcher ever. And I think I have to get rid of that stigma because he looks really good now and different. And same with Chris Bubich. They look different, and that's the key. So big shout-out to the Royals' office there because... Something's going on there, and it looks good. And then Lucas Giolito of the White Sox went six innings pitch, one earned run, five hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Twins. Sorry, John. We picked two pitchers in a row that were on the White Sox against your Twins. So That's, that's all right. Brutal, but hey, we got to talk about both sides of the coin, right? But phew, I knew Giolito wasn't washed. He looked great in this outing. The velocity was solid. Fastball location was great. The slider had good movement. The changeup looks like his of old. It was a very promising start. And he's another one of those guys that I saw all over Reddit and Twitter. People being like, oh, Giolito's bad. Meanwhile, no one looks under the hood. His second start looked fine. His velocity's been okay. It was bound to get better. And this is definitely better. Three of the five hits that he gave up as well were bloop singles that fell in perfectly. And one was a triple. That was just Gavin Sheets tripping over himself in right field and not making an easy catch, which should have been an out. So Giolito very easily could have had no earned runs in this game. But his upcoming schedule is a little scary with the Phillies, Blue Jays, and Rays next. But Giolito looks good, and I'm rolling with him. He was a legitimate ace for a few years before last season, and I think he's just returning to form. So I'm rolling him out there. You don't have to. It's probably the smart move not to, but I'm going to roll him out there because I believe in my guys, and if I roster someone, I'm playing them because otherwise, why do I roster them? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll say, even though we talked about uh, two good uh, White Sox pitchers, the Twins won both of those games. They so. did, which is great <laughs> for you. So I'll, t- I'll take that, yeah. Yep. Um, and I'll take my quality I, starts from both of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am I am very interested to see, yeah, with, with all these Royals pitchers, what's what's going on. Because Brad Kill is essentially free. I think I just checked. He's 3% rostered on Yahoo. Yep. Uh, 1% on, on ESPN. So clearly, like, he's available if you need, uh, if you need a guy. And... Um, yeah, I I do like to see like that that type of player development. Um, in just seeing that like, oh hey, if you if you just add this, like it could make all your other pitches better. It's not just adding like one good pitch. It's it's being able to kind of, um, adding a pitch so that your other pitches improve. Right. Um, yeah. And he and Keller gets Texas next. Um, so he faced Texas at this start. Um, so we'll we'll see if he kind of learned anything from facing that team and is able to maybe do something a little different with the with the pitch mix and um. Still keep him under toes. So, yeah, excited to see how that goes. I don't know if I'm picking him up just yet, but right. um, this is clearly like a, a a move in the right direction for for Keller. Yeah, and that's fair that you don't pick him up yet. It's someone that you want to keep an eye on, but I definitely think that if he has another good start against Texas and mm-hmm. this looks good, I think he's someone that's going to be grabbed a lot in fab and whatnot. I think he's already being grabbed. I took him in, I think TGFBI, I took him in a 12-team satellite league on NFBC. I've been picking him up in most places because... Like I said, I believe in it. If you missed out on Chris Bubich, I think Brad Keller's a great consolation prize. 
mm-hmm. I just think the whole mediocre pitcher stigma around him that even I have has to be disbanded because I think he's better than what he's advertised as. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, moving on to Thursday's game, we're going to start with um, Adley Rutschman of Baltimore. He went one for five with a homer and an RBI. Uh, honestly, in the context of all his other games this season, he's had like multiple games where he's had pretty much hits at all all his at bats. Um, this might look like a rough day for Rutschman. However, the reason we're highlighting this is because Adley hit had his first ever walk off hit. Like, if you go all the way back to Little League, apparently he's never had a walk off hit. Oh, really? Wow, um, that's cool. I, I think he's mentioned that in an interview, yeah. So, um, yeah, he had a leadoff homer in the ninth against Trevor May, leading to Baltimore to an 8-7 victory, uh, which is just, you know, great for Adley. He's also a really good catcher, apparently, now. Uh, he's – I wouldn't be surprised if um, he's firmly in maybe even the, like a top-two catcher conversation um, at the end of this season, um, especially with Varsho losing eligibility, probably. Yep. Um, it'll probably be a two-man race between between Adley and uh, JT Real Muto. Uh, at the end of the season to see who's the best catcher. Um, Brett Rooker uh, on the opposite side uh, for Oakland went two for four with two hits and five RBIs. Uh, he had a career day. He had two homers here, and um, he's pretty much struggled in the big leagues ever since he came up with the Twins back, you know, I think in 2019. Um, he's also been on the Padres. He's been on the Royals as well. And the, the confusing thing with Rooker is that he's raked in AAA. He's so good in AAA. But then he comes with the majors, and then it's just nothing. Um the last two games, though, he's hit three homers, eight RBIs. Um, I don't think he's anyone that you should pick up right now. Really, there's not a lot of people on that Oakland team you should be picking up anyways. Um, <laughs> but considering that he's probably going to be getting the lineup more often if, if this power is showing up, he might be worth a deep league stash, but I, I wouldn't jump on it just immediately. Uh, one guy I would jump on, though, uh, is Edward Julien. Uh, he's a Minnesota rookie. Uh, two for five with a homer and RBI today against the Yankees. Uh, this was his second game in the majors, and he got two hits in the first inning. Yep. Uh, you heard that right. He had two hits in the first inning. He had a leadoff single for his first career hit. Um, it was like probably like a foot. I think it was like a foot away from being a homer. Um, and then the Twins batted around, and then he hit a he had a first career home run in the same inning. So uh, you know, good for Julian. I the the one thing maybe I'd pump the brakes on in terms of picking up is I I don't know how long he's going to stay up at the big leagues. Uh, because Jorge Blanco is doing uh, you know a rehab assignment down in Single A, um, and the reason why Julian even was on the major league team was because there were injuries to Kyle Farmer, uh, to Joey Gallo, um, and so you know once those guys come back healthy, it's hard to say if Julian's going to stay up here. However, um, he, the Twins bat him leadoff in his second game in the majors. Um, they clearly believe in his. Uh, on base skills. I mean, he did draw 110 walks in low A and high A in 2021, and then 98 walks in double A last year. Um, he led the Arizona Fall League in OPS last year as well. Um, so he definitely has the skills. I just don't know how long he's going to stay up in the big leagues. Definitely. So Adley Rutschman, I think, is an easy top three catcher moving forward with Real mm-hmm. Muto, Will Smith, and Adley. I think, you know, Varsha will lose eligibility so it's easily between those three and we'll see who finishes number one I think Will Smith is probably the best catcher in baseball in terms of fantasy production then probably yeah. Adley and then JT I think JT Real Moots is going to fall off a little bit that's just my own personal opinion but he's yeah. the only guy who has a 2020 potential from the catcher position so mm-hmm. that's obviously something that's going to keep you relevant then Brent Rooker yeah I guess if you just need a hot bat for now if you're in like a daily league or something or a really deep league mm-hmm. then he's someone you grab but otherwise probably not too notable but he's been Hitting the ball really well these past few days. And then I agree with you. Edward Julian is someone that 
has a lot of potential, and they obviously believe in his hit tool and his eye at the plate because they're batting him leadoff in his second game ever. So mm-hmm. very impressive stuff, but as you said, the playing time is the only thing that's a concern. We don't know if he's going to get everyday playing time when everyone comes back. We don't even know if he'll stay up when everyone comes back. So yeah. if he keeps hitting like this, though, if he keeps getting two hits in one inning, I think he's going to <laughs> stay in the majors. <laughs> Yeah, if he can control that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. It just requires everyone else to get hits too, but... Right, yeah, no, that's not difficult. Almost. Yeah, no, that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, well, moving on to pitchers, uh, I'm going to talk about Joe Bryan. Uh, the Twins, he went seven innings, three hits, one earned run, and ten strikeouts against the Yankees. Uh, he actually followed up his excellent start against the Astros. I was at this game, and um, he had a blip in the third inning where he basically gave up a grand slam to Jordan Alvarez. Yep. Um, it was really funny because it was just like a blazing uh line drive that just it just barely cleared uh the flower boxes over at target field uh but yeah it's usually a bad idea to throw a middle middle fastball to yard on all yeah not the best um, idea <laughs> especially when your fastball is like 92 miles an hour yeah um that being said though the fastball was really really good this game he actually threw it like almost 60 percent of the time it was just confusing batters had 10 whips 13 called strikes good for a 40 percent csw the only issue is that the secondaries weren't really there for him, so it's a little worrying. Um, you want to see him using those secondaries well and getting whiffs with those things, but it just wasn't working for him today. Um, but honestly, a great game from Ryan, and your fantasy team is very grateful for that. Uh, and then Vince Velasquez of the Pirates went six innings, three hits, no earned runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. He was facing the Cardinals. Uh, I'll just I'll just come out and say it. Velasquez is not a particularly good pitcher. He finished last season with a 4.78 ERA and a 1.23 WHIP, which a good chunks of the season he also spent in the bullpen as well. This season it was actually worse. Um, in two games he's had a 9.82 ERA and a 2.18 WHIP. Um, bigger is worse when it comes to pitching ratios. I hope you know that. Um, <laughs> he's walking more batters than he's striking out batters. Uh, a negative K minus BB is not good. Um, but you know what? Sometimes the blind squirrel finds the acorn, and Velasquez turned into a pretty good start against the Cardinals today. 18 whiffs, 34% CSW overall. So what was working for Velasquez? Um, ironically, similar to Ryan, the fastball. He had 10 whiffs on it. Um, the pitch distribution, though, was a little scary. The, 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 the fastball and the slider, which is the other pitch he was relying on, were literally all over the strike zone. I don't expect this to continue at all. Uh, even though his next start does come against Colorado, it's at Colorado, uh, so obviously don't don't play him there. He might get Cincinnati next, but um, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Yeah, Joe Ryan is someone who's really taking that next step forward this season, and I expect big things out of. He actually ended Aaron Judge's 45 straight game yeah. of on-base mm-hmm. streak, so pretty yeah. cool out of Joe Ryan. Great day for him and the Twins. I mean, that explosive first inning was incredible. Yep. And then Vince Velasquez is a big nothing burger. He is not going to give you anything. He's probably not viable. You probably won't even see us put him on the streamer section ever. So, yeah, yeah he just had a really good outlier performance today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sometimes you just take those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If any 25-team leagues that has Vince Velasquez on them, uh, congratulations <laughs> on your big day. <laughs> right, yeah. Or you have been a best ball. So, just like the one time Velasquez contributes to your best ball. Yeah, league. yep. The one time he actually does something for you. Yep. But now we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Tim Chang to talk about his article, Seasons of Changeup, How Do You Measure Jeffrey Springs? Stay tuned. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization 
so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution, and that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and joined by Pitcherless writer Tim Chang. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. Doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, before we get into everything, tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been playing fantasy for or what team you're a fan of. Sure. I joined up with Pitcher List back in December, and I write for the Going Deep series. Um, been playing fantasy baseball since maybe 2010, but early on, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. Then in college, I met a group of friends who were really into fantasy, and they ran a competitive keeper league that's still going on to this day, and that's how I gained more exposure to deeper fantasy strategies and uh, OBP and quality starts and whatnot, and that piqued my curiosity into learning more about analytics, mainly to get an edge in that fantasy league because I felt like a scrub. Um, but <laughs> started exploring uh, fan graphs, fantasy pros, eventually came across Pitcher List. So I was very excited to be part of the team now. Uh, in terms of my own fandom, I'm a Giants fan. Uh, one of my earliest memories of getting into this franchise was uh, the heartbreak of the 2002 World Series. I think if you're Ooh. an Angels fan, you... <laughs> Probably remember that one quite differently, but um, you know we eventually got our day in the sun with the with the dynasty, three rings, five years, and that was that was quite a time to have lived through. Yeah, um, yeah but right right now though we're not getting any production out of uh, Arson Judge and Carlos Correa, so hopefully we uh, <laughs> figure that out. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned 2002 because that's actually one of my earliest memories of baseball, but from the perspective of a Twins fan. Because the uh, Angels, Angels beat us in the ALCS, so uh, I share your I share your um, derision for the 2002 Angels um, and the and what they put put um, both of us through in the in that playoffs. 
Yeah, that team had some had some devil magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember looking over that roster like years later. I'm just like, I don't remember any of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of devil magic, after we scheduled this interview with Tim about his article on Jeffrey Springs, he left Thursday's game against the Red Sox due to left arm ulnar neuritis. It didn't look great. He was kind of shaking his hand and arm, and I think he said forearm to Kevin Cash and the trainer, so it did not look good. We don't know anything about the injury, as we mentioned at the top of the show, but hopefully more information comes out, and hopefully he's okay. But of course, we're going over an article about Jeffrey Springs that Tim wrote. So, Tim, is there anything to maybe not be in a dark cloud over this? Because this is just brutal. Yeah, I don't know. That's really unfortunate. I was actually looking forward to the start because it would give us more content to talk about. And yeah, yeah. Instead, he he leaves early with an injury, which is the worst case scenario. So, um, we'll, we'll just have to cross our fingers, hope it's it's nothing that shelves him like rest of season. That would be terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll pretend that Springs is healthy uh, as we kind of continue with this interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they haven't officially announced it yet, but. Uh, Early indications seem to imply that he's going to the 10-day IL, um, so hopefully it's not too much of an issue here. Um, but I guess the big story with Springs is, and you mentioned this in your article, he starts his career as a reliever for the Rangers and the Red Sox. The Rays pick him up, um, and he basically explodes onto the scene in 2021 as a member of the bullpen. Um, but then in 2022, the Rays convert him to a starter, and he goes and just posts a 2.46 ERA and a 1.07 whip, uh, which is kind of incredible. Uh, so looking back at his time with the Rangers and the Red Sox, what was his approach early in those seasons? Why didn't it work out for him? Yeah, so I actually didn't see or know much of Jeffrey Springs early in his career. Probably no one really did unless you were well acquainted with the Rangers farm system, which I definitely wasn't. But digging deeper... He was a really fastball-heavy pitcher early on. He was throwing it over 45% of the time. And I think that worked just fine for him in the minors. But, of course, making that transition to the big leagues, as we know, it's much harder to lean on just the heater to get by. Um, he also notably had some control issues, and, and the fastball wasn't good enough on its own to cover those issues. Uh, I think in the piece I had a chart with the weighted on base average against his uh, fastball by year, and it was not pretty. So what Springs has become now is someone who really leans into his secondaries. He had the highest uh, or one of the highest change of usages last year among starters. Um, and he's also working north-south effectively, which is something he didn't really do before. Um, I know at Pitcher List, we love to mention the, the BSB, the, the Blake Snell blueprint with fastballs up and breakers down. Um, I think a good comparison for his development would be Garrett Cole when he was on the Pirates. Uh, obviously, they're vastly different players, both in pedigree and expectations, but Cole's best pitch uh, was always his slider. And, and then in Pittsburgh, they wanted him to pitch the contact, uh, mainly feature his two-steamer. Then he goes to Houston, and they tell him just rely more on that great slider, pitch backward with breaking stuff, and, and then use the high four-seam, and he reached a, a whole new level. So I think that's what the Rays, who certainly are at the forefront of the analytics and, and new philosophy of pitching, did for Springs. 
like don't rely on conventional wisdom just pitch to your strengths and that that's not meant to be a shot at the rangers because i think he also evolved on his own and and put in a lot of offseason work to to grow as a pitcher yeah that's a great point i mean the rays are just so good analytically that they just changed everything on pretty much how everyone else thinks it was almost like the 2.0 version of moneyball from the athletics like the rays just go above and beyond to really dive deep and figure out all these things that have unlocked so many things in so many players. So, I mean, there's a reason why right now they're 13-0. and 0. It's pretty uh, remarkable. But the main pitch you point out in your article is the changeup, like you just said. And for good reason. It seems to look a lot different. You mentioned in the article that this is due to more gyro spin. Now, how does the gyro spin help in the grand scheme of things to his changeup? Sure. So, it's probably helpful to first talk about what makes a changeup effective. Uh, so... Every pitch has spin, right? A fastball has backspin, and therefore it gives the impression of the ball rising as it gets to the plate. And I'll, I'll try not to bore you guys with the physics here, which I, I'm also by no means an expert on. Uh, but uh, that's what's called the Magnus effect. It, it produces an upward force on the ball uh, due to the spin essentially pulling the air down around it and keeping it up against gravity. So when you throw a changeup, you're trying to tamper down on the backspin. Like you don't want it to resist gravity or else it just floats out over the plate. Um, so you want that pitch separation so that the batter either swings over it or out in front of it. And at, to achieve this, pitchers basically have two options. Either you reduce the spin or you opt to go for a more horizontally breaking changeup where they're converting that backspin to sidespin. Okay. I think a good example of this is um, Devin Williams of the Brewers. Like mm, everyone knows yes. his changeup, the airbender. right? It's, the Airbender, yeah. yeah. The Airbender. Um, I mean, it's a unicorn pitch. The Airbender, right? Um, Rob Friedman, pitching ninja. You know, he has this cool video about how that pitch spins at like three thousand RPMs, and changeups mm. are not supposed to do that. It's basically yeah. a reverse yeah, slider. Nuts. I think to a lesser effect, springs kind of previously had more of that similar horizontally moving changeup where it was more side spin. Anyway, that's a long way of getting to what is gyro spin, right? So <laughs> gyro spin describes when a ball is rotating about the direction it is moving. Um, this, this also took me a long time to like wrap my head around. It, it wasn't super uh, intuitive, but gyro spin is when this, the spin axis of the ball is parallel to the trajectory of the ball which in this case is the catcher's glove. So mm -hmm. we, we liken that to like the football spiral example, where the spiral isn't contributing to uh, really the football's break during its flight. So mm -hmm. there's no Magnus effect associated with gyro spin. In effect, the, the ball's not breaking to the side or rising. It's just getting pulled down by gravity. So that's how Springs was able to, I think he tweaked his... Uh, grip a little bit and was able to get more of that late action to where the ball just drops off the table right yeah I mean it looks like in a very impressive pitch especially early on that what we've seen so far this season I mean he's pitching with it to a tee where it's just striking people out it's getting good whiffs I mean it's just a great pitch overall yeah absolutely it's it's really fun to watch yeah also don't ever apologize for explaining the physics behind baseball because it's <laughs> one of the most fascinating things to me and I think the stat cast revolution is really made that more interesting and, and understandable for uh for people to get instead of just uh 
you know, using closeted baseball lingo that that only twenty five percent of people understand. But for sure, for sure, <laughs> I digress. I I am an engineer, so there is there is that aspect. Um, <laughs> the the one thing though with the changeup is it works because it plays out the fa the fastball, right? So that that fastball changeup combo is really what makes that changeup so elite. Um, but, you know, you mentioned in the article, and, and I think this is kind of just standard practice for most uh, baseball analysts, uh, when, a pit, when a pitcher has two good pitches, you know, we like that. But when he has three above average pitches, that's when we're, you know, that's when we're like, okay, maybe this guy's a true ace. You know, he's, Springs has the slider, uh, but do you think that he's able to get by and, like, become a legitimate ace just with that fastball changeup combo? Or does he really need to improve his slider to get to the next level here? Yeah, that's a very fair question. Um, th there are a few notable arms who I think are able to thrive with just a two-pitch mix. Uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Gosman comes to mind. Uh, Spencer Strider. Yep. Uh, Carlos Rodon. I guess Jacob deGrom at this stage is in his career is basically a two-pitch guy. Um, but, of course, I think what those names have in common that Springs does not is the big fastball so the, that's why i homed in on the fastball change of combination because it's it's such a defining feature of his mm -hmm. success um but understandably there, there is still skepticism about what happens like when he goes up against a team that stacks good lefties is the slider right. good enough to get him by yeah um so I, I didn't talk a whole lot about the slider in the article um mm -hmm. but i did link a video by uh lance brzezowski from marquee sports talking about uh, how Springs is also leaning into the sweeper this year to to go along okay, with his yeah. old slider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it does give him another look now, like another slider shape, if you will, to use against hitters, uh, particularly from the left side. And mm -hmm. obviously we don't have a huge sample size to go off right now, but um, I mean, he looked really good in spring training. I know spring training stats don't mean a whole lot, but um, you know he's he's been featuring the sweeper to go with the yep. slider so far. Um, and I think at the very least he has that in his arsenal uh, so that if hitters start to pick up on that fastball changeup combo, then he can at least try to throw the sweeper in there uh, a little bit more. Um, honestly, I feel like my article is a bit dated already because I was looking at what he was doing to break out last season, and then now in 2023, he's already looking like a different pitcher than he was mm -hmm. in 2022. So... Uh, like granted, he had two very favorable matchups, um, but like the whips are up and the exit velo against is down. So yeah, again, crossing fingers about the the injury, but I think he's he's got a ton of upside going forward. Yeah, first of all, you mentioned Lance Brozdowski. He's just such a smart person and a great follow on Twitter. So make sure you follow him. I believe it's at Lance Braz. So check him out if you haven't. Just a really smart fantasy baseball mind, but. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, I think we've seen Springs really take that next step, even without using that slider as much. I mean, he looks like a different pitcher, like you said, this season. And we've seen these changes. I mean, it's such a shame that he got hurt because we were really seeing it come to fruition of him being a legitimate ace. So it definitely hurts. Yeah, it's, it's really too bad. Um, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, we're going to have to do this segment a little bit different. It's one of our favorite <laughs> segments. Basically, we are going to compare Jeffrey Springs, who you wrote your article about, with other players around the same caliber or who went around the same draft range as Jeffrey Springs, and just see who do you like more rest of season 
in a standard 5x5 head-to-head league. Now, obviously, when we came up with these names, Jeffrey Springs was healthy. So we are going to assume that this is a fully healthy Jeffrey Springs against these four names. So that's how we're going to approach this segment. So when you listen, everybody, obviously right now Jeffrey Springs is hurt. We don't know for how long. We don't know how serious it is. Don't go and take this and just go get Springs or trade Springs for one of these guys because of what we said. This is just going to be a practice of if Jeffrey Springs was fully healthy, who would we rather rest of season? So we'll start it off with you, Tim. Would you rather Jeffrey Springs or Jesus Lazardo? Uh, yeah, well, that's a tough one. Um, so yeah, yeah, Lizardo looks really good in the early going. I actually regret not having any shares of him in, in my <laughs> fantasy leagues. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of like Dylan Cease with that high prospect pedigree and then kind of couldn't figure out how to throw strikes. And then, then he figured out how to throw strikes and then look out. <laughs> um, so I, I think, uh, you know, if he has like that cease-like breakout, then Luzardo could be like a top ten guy. But uh, we've also seen what can happen when he loses command. Um, I guess uh, I'm, I'm knowing or not being entirely sure how good the Marlins are outside of like Luis Arise right now. We might be looking at a situation where he might struggle to get wins. Um, I know he's two and zero right now, so that seems like a moot point. But I think with the team context being better for Springs, I, I'd, I'd take Springs over Luzardo, but but not by much. Yeah, for sure. John, what about you? Uh, I mean, this the listeners of this podcast are well aware of our affection for Hazel Luzardo. Yep. Uh, and it is it does feel like a toss-up here. I, I think there's maybe a little bit more of a level that Luzardo can get to that we haven't seen yet. Um, so if, if this was like a yeah, I hate to say if this was a dynasty league, obviously I would take Luzardo. That seems like a no-brainer. I think for like a, a, a redraft sort of league where I'm looking at yeah wins and everything else, uh, ratios and you know Ks and whatnot, I probably take Springs by a hair. But it would be a very, very tough decision to go with with Springs over Luzardo. Yeah, so it's a clean sweep for me as well. I think that I echo the same sentiments you guys do. Jeffrey Springs, I would take by a hair over Lizardo. I love both of these guys. And Springs, like I told everybody, was my must-have pitcher leaving drafts this season. He just had to be on my teams. I was really excited about what he was doing. I thought the Rays were going to push him a little bit more, which obviously he went six and seven innings before this last start. And I just think Springs is a great animal for this season rather than Jesus Lizardo. I mean, like you said, dynasty context, I'd probably rather Lizardo. He's much younger, a lot more upside. But Jeffrey Springs... In general, right now, I would much rather him. So, Jeffrey Springs across the board for us over Lazardo. Next, we have Jeffrey Springs or his teammate, Drew Rasmussen. So, Tim, who would you rather in this scenario? Oh, boy. Uh, it's too bad I can't use the team context comparison anymore. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was high on both Springs and Rasmussen coming this year. Like, you know, get both, right? Uh, and, and, like, he's off to a great start, too. He hasn't mm-hmm. allowed any runs um he he added that new sweeper as well you know of course he did right he's on the raise yep. <laughs> um and the that that cutter is just so effective uh but uh i think yeah these two are neck and neck but i'll probably go with springs again just because i think he has a little more strikeout upside um but yeah you, you really can't go wrong with either of these tampa arms agreed john what about you on this one yeah, I think Eileen Rasmussen here. Ooh, um, okay. I, <laughs> this is purely, 
purely based on on plv stuff uh which i understand is still somewhat a work in progress and it's it's hard to just you know go off stuff by distilling all pitches down to one single number but rasmussen for some reason is just an elite pitcher when it comes to plv i can't completely explain it um there's just something about his pitches and maybe it is because he has the elevated velocity on the fastball too like that's what helps a lot because um you know springs with the you know the 92 mile an hour fastball it just is a worse pitch intrinsically than a 96 mile an hour fastball from rasmussen not to saying that both pitchers aren't effective though you know right um and and so it's hard to be like okay because he's a fast he's a he's a harder fastball he's a better pitcher like that's not true but i think rasmussen there's maybe a bit more leeway with what he can do here with the higher velocity um and you know team context aside they they have the same uh odds at, at at getting wins um and i think they're neck and neck in terms of strikeout ability i just maybe trust rasmussen a little bit more to um just to maybe do better on an overall basis cuz he has a little bit more stuff uh so to speak those are great points all around from both of you i am the tiebreaker of course and i am going to side with tim on this one i'm going jeffrey springs only because what tim mentioned the strikeout upside i think that's the most mm-hmm. important play i think they're very similar pitchers in terms of what they're going to give you win wise obviously same team we can't use that against him like we did lazardo where springs is obviously gonna get more wins than lazardo but I would just take Springs for that strikeout upside because, like I said, everything else should be pretty similar. I think that the upside for ERA is probably better with Rasmussen. Obviously, he's a PLV darling. But if you're going to just tell me, hey, pick one, I would much rather Jeffrey Springs. Next example, we have Jeffrey Springs or Logan Webb of the Giants. Tim, what about this one? Yeah, this one does hurt a bit, you know, as a Giants fan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, he's Webb's off to a rocky start. Um I think he's been better than the surface stats suggest. Um, I, I, I know his slider is back and the strikeouts are up. Um, you know, he got burned by like a Mickey Mouse home run in the opener against the Yankees um, to the short porch. Um, and then uh, gave up like a, a three run shot to Muncie a couple of days ago when he probably should have been out of that inning too. So, yep. you know, for a guy who gets ground balls like he does, I, I that mm-hmm. home run rate will come down. The Babbitt should come down. Um, but I think that being said, in a standard 5x5 head-to-head, um, I would probably take Springs. Uh, if this was a quality start league, Webb without question, but mm-hmm. uh, because I'm concerned that the Rays might try to bubble wrap their pitchers down the stretch. But uh, I-, I will take Springs here. Good points again. John, what say you? Yeah. Um, so the fun thing about Logan Webb is that uh, – when I was applying to to join Pitcherless, one of the things we were asked to do is write an article. <laughs> you and I both. Uh, you and I both. And yeah, we and I wrote an article about Logan Webb about how he was going to be able to sustain that ground ball rate, how it wasn't a fluke, and that uh, he could definitely add some, you know, add some strikeouts to to that strikeout rate. And he has increased the strikeout rate. Like it is thirty one percent this year. It dipped to twenty percent last year. So last year was a little bit of a dud. Yeah. It's just that the ground ball rate has consistently gone down over the past three years, and that was one of the things that truly made him elite. Um, and he's lost that a little bit. And the the converse of like the addition of strikeouts hasn't necessarily been as dramatic enough to kind of limit the damage. So I think here I probably end up going Springs over Webb. Um, as much as I like Webb's makeup and, and what he can do, 
um yeah the just the the home runs are an issue this year for some reason um and uh i, I don't really see that improving in a dramatic way where he would be better than springs yeah, same for me. Clean sweep across the board again. I agree with everything they echo. Jeffrey Springs for me, too. The Webb thing, he was a ground ball pitcher, and now he's just giving up a lot of home runs, and that kind of concerns me a little bit. And like John mentioned, we both wrote articles to enter pitcher list about Logan Webb, and I was very high on him as well, and I still am pretty high on him. But give me the upside of Springs. Once again, I just think the counter context of this for me is that as Tim mentioned, Logan Webb in a quality start league is probably better. I actually would think Springs is good. Like, we don't know how many innings Springs will pitch this season or when they'll, like, shut him down. But I think they've shown that they're going to let Springs go six every time as long as he's not over, like, 100 pitches. So I think that Jeffrey Springs is going to be a reliable quality start getter. So I'm not too worried on that front. So I will take Jeffrey Springs over Logan Webb. And last but not least, another difficult one. All four of these were pretty difficult. So... Jeffrey Springs or Nick Lodolo of the Reds? Tim, the last one, what's your decision? Yeah, these are extremely difficult, and, and I know that's part of the exercise. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping you guys yeah, would throw me like a gimme, but yeah, you're too sharp for that. Um, <laughs> so I have Lodolo on all my fantasy teams this year because I'm super high on him. You know, He's got that uh, sneaky velo, the ground ball rate the big sweeping curveball that that hits batters when they strike out mm-hmm. um i think really the only knock is that of the four pitchers we've named he plays in the the worst home ballpark by far mm, yep. so so long yeah. as you pitch in great american small park there's always the risk for a disaster um but in fantasy i'm i'm a big upside chaser like who needs floor when you can have ceiling uh so uh, I believe Lodolo has the bigger upside here, and and yes, the floor could bottom out, but uh, I think he'll take that risk. And he's looked dominant so far. Yeah, that uh, twelve strikeout game against the Phillies was uh, pure filth. So uh, I will finally pick someone else, and I'll take Lodolo over Springs here. Wow. Okay, John. What about you? Uh, so it's funny that you mentioned the whole ceiling versus floor thing because to me, like. Lodolo just has a higher floor than than Springs, in my opinion. Um, Springs, I think, like when he's on, he's he's obviously on. But Lodolo just feels like a very nice, like comfortable guy to rely on. Um, and I I came into this question thinking that I yeah, it's it's really difficult here. I I hesitate I hesitate to say that I go with Lodolo. Um. I think partially it's because I think the 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 strikeouts are still there for him. The park is really unfortunate. Like it truly is very unfortunate that that's that's like that's where Lodolo has to play like probably half his starts. But he has an elite strikeout rate. His ground ball rate's good. Um, he's really good at limiting hard contact. And I think for those reasons, I go Lodolo because it just feels safer, which is feels stupid to say, but. Um, I think I, I think I lean Lodolo here. So for me, it shouldn't be a surprise because I said at the beginning that Jeffrey Springs was my must-have pitcher this year. So once again, I will take Jeffrey Springs over Nick Lodolo. These were all very difficult, though. These are all by a hair. I think Lazardo and Lodolo are the most difficult for me. Yeah. I prefer Jeffrey Springs over Logan Webb and Rasmussen a little bit more than most. But in terms of Lodolo and Lazardo, I mean, they are some of the most dominant left-handed pitchers we've seen in a while just in terms of stuff and how nasty they are. Mm-hmm. But 
I like Jeffrey Springs for what he's going to give this season, possibly next season. Like, obviously, Lizardo and Lodolo in a dynasty context are the go-to. You want them for sure. If you can ever pull off a Jeffrey Springs for Lizardo or Lodolo trade in dynasty, pull the trigger immediately. But Mm -hmm. for this exercise we do... I'll just take Springs across the board because I think for what he's going to give you in a head-to-head league, in a roto league, I think it's just going to be greater than what the others give you. And maybe the strikeouts will be a little less. I think Lizardo and Lodolo have a little bit more strikeout upside than Springs. But I just think the overall product you'll get out of Springs, according to this exercise, is just better in what you want out of a pitcher. So give me Jeffrey Springs again. That's four for four (laughs) Jeffrey Springs on my end. But overall, it's a good exercise to do. And obviously, like I said before, Jeffrey Springs is currently hurt. So take this exercise in a form of, hey, if Springs was healthy, that's who we prefer. But right now, obviously, we just hope that Springs is healthy so that we can be happy about taking Springs over some of these guys because he'll pitch more this season. So fingers crossed across the boards for Jeffrey Springs. But that wraps up the interview with Tim Chang on his article, Seasons of Changeup, How Do You Measure Jeffrey Springs? Tim, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Before you sign off, is there anywhere that people can follow you at and is there any exciting articles that you have coming up that you want to plug uh sure you can follow me on twitter at timmy chang with two y's um it's just the occasional hot take there with some memes sprinkled in but eager to eager to network with some more people who love baseball or sports in general um otherwise in terms of uh next projects i'm actually working on a nick Lodolo piece right now so <laughs> conveniently which is nice. why that last who do you like more question uh was a real tough ask, but yeah. is uh, it a love yeah. letter by chance or <laughs> uh, I'll speak very glowingly of him. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll probably drop somewhere around the beginning of next month. That sounds great. But Tim, once again, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Had a great time chatting with you guys. Thanks again. Take care. Now moving on to streamers for next week, John, who do we got this time? Because last week you were pretty successful. Yeah, um, I didn't want to mention some of the same names, uh, but, you know, Bryce Elder goes against the Royals on this Saturday. We mentioned that last week. Yep. He does get Houston next, though, so don't keep him on your rosters. Uh, Matt Strom, like we mentioned, is uh, going to be going at Cincinnati, so not great, but then he gets Colorado at home. So um, maybe maybe Matt Strom is worth a keep there. However, the three guys I want to highlight this week, uh, I'm going to start with Hunter Gaddis of the Guardians. He gets Detroit on Monday. And then he plays Miami, uh, I believe, on the Sunday uh, of, at the end of next week. Um, but here's the thing, though. I don't really trust Gaddis. Um, he's had two bad starts, once against Seattle, one against the Yankees. His one good start, though, this season did come against the A's. So maybe he's just a good pitcher when the bats are bad. Um, the problem with Gaddis is that nothing is particularly good. He walks too many guys. He doesn't strike guys out. But I guess that's the reason why he's available. I mean, when you're streaming, you're usually win hunting. Um, that's kind of the main thing. And, and maybe, you know, hunting for some bad teams to to not get on base. So you have a low whip, uh, low ERA. So that might be the only thing here, but he's definitely not going to offer anything in terms of strikeouts. Um, Michael Waka, the Padres, he goes against Arizona. Um, Waka's performance against Atlanta was something else. He had 10Ks thanks to a 41.4% CSW on his changeup. If you can make that work against Arizona, which even though they're first place in their division, uh, the bats aren't that great, um, this might actually work out for Waka. Um, I think he might even get some strikeouts with it. I don't think he's going to get 10, but he might might be good for 7, um, and, and that, could be, that could be a very useful stream. 
Uh, and then finally, Mitch Keller. We're talking about a lot of Kellers on this yeah, spot. Yeah, Keller, go Kellers. Woo. Yeah, uh, the Pirates. He goes against Cincinnati. He's looked decent in his last two starts. Of course, it's his first start against this Red team. Uh, that was the one major blip on his game log. Um, it was his first start of the season, and it wasn't very good. I think he gave up four runs um, in like 4.2 innings. Again, though, it's early in the season, short sample size, whatever. Um, he did strike out seven players against both Houston and Boston, both pretty decent offenses. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, though, I was trying to figure out why he was good in those games, and I really couldn't figure out how he did it. Um, he just struck out seven guys and it, it worked out for him. He has like a five pitch mix. Um, three of those pitches grayed out as average pitches according to PLV. Basically, they're kind of, I think his fastball is like um, a little bit higher, like I think like maybe like a 70th percentile pitch. But his other two, I think, which are the changeup and the curveball, or it might be the curveball and the slider, are like firmly at like the 50th percentile. So like they're perfectly average pitchers. Um, that being all said, I mean, he has three average pitches you know we, that that's that's a decent arsenal to work with um that being said though i think i'm recommending this stream only because cincinnati is bad uh it's not that because keller is good and he's going to shut down these reds uh it's more because the reds are probably not going to do anything to keller so my ranking for these three guys is mitch keller one i actually fully believe in him and i really like the oh. stuff obviously it's okay a little rough because, like you said, PLV says he only has three average pitches and the two aren't very good, the other two. Yeah. So, yeah, but I just think he's found something a little different, and the Pirates trust him now more than ever. He was their opening day mm -hmm. starter, and there's a little bit yeah. more comfortability for Mitch Keller. Mm -hmm. And I just think that after that Houston start, I have a little bit more faith in him than I did before. Mm -hmm. So I'm big on Mitch Keller. I love that streamer recommendation because I think even in deeper leagues, in a 15-team league, I roster him. So I would say Mitch Keller is a great idea. Hunter Gaddis would be my number two because that two-start week is something you dream of against the Tigers and oh, the Marlins. Totally, yep. Obviously, you would like to see maybe the Marlins subbed out with the A's again, but, I mean, you can't get much better than the Tigers and the Marlins for a two-start week. So, yeah, if you want volume and you want someone with the best possible matchups, Hunter Gaddis is the best choice. I watched him pitch mm -hmm. against the Yankees, and it looked like he was just throwing meatballs that were so hittable over the plate. So, kind of scary on that front, but we've seen him be really good, like you said, against the A's. Yeah. So I think he can pry on the Tigers and the Marlins. I like that recommendation as well. And then Michael Walker, I'll put last. And that's mainly because I think Arizona is very good. I really like yeah. how scrappy they are at the plate, how you know deadly they are on the base paths. They're starting to hit for a little bit more power. And that's all with Christian Walker slumping at the moment. So mm -hmm. if Christian Walker starts hitting better, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. just kind of woke up. Corbin Carroll's been great but hasn't drawn a walk. Once they click on full cylinder... I think that the Diamondbacks are going to be even better than they are right now. So if Walker could take advantage of the rusty start for the Diamondbacks, then that's great. But he's my number mm -hmm. three on this list. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I really believe in Keller, but the reality is that he had two really good starts against two decent offenses. Yep. Um, and so facing a mediocre offense like Cincinnati should pay off pretty well. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think Gaddis in terms of like if you're looking for a two star pitcher, kind of similar to Bryce Elder, honestly, yep. last last week. Um, if you're looking for a two star pitcher that is going to, you know, not hurt your team, I, I don't think he blows up against either of these these uh, these squads. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree completely. I think that two star recommendation is great because a lot of people always look for two star weeks too. So he's definitely mm -hmm. the guy you want because he's very low rostered, and I think he's at least good enough to beat these two teams to get you a win on both of those days. So. 
right. great streamer recommendations there. I like it. And the main story is that you should pick up every Keller that plays baseball. But <laughs> with that being said, that is all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKuh which is T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter, which is at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.